Hey guys, you're listening to Drunk and Uncultured. We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. I'm Lindsay. I'm Stephanie. I had this dream last night where um, when we introed it, I like went through your part two and three off where I was like, hey guys, you're listening to Drunk and Uncultured. We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. And you were just like, what, what, uh, <laughs> what do I say now? I like that you have dreams about me. I also like that you just tell me one. you have dreams about me. Just the one. The one that you're willing to tell me about. I don't have other dreams about you. I do have weird dreams sometimes about sometimes about people in my life, and it's... Oh, I know. Makes It makes me uncomfortable. I know you do. You tell me about them. <laughs> I would tell you if I had a weird dream about you, though, because we would both laugh about it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I mean, I would absolutely tell you if I had a weird dream about you, because I would be like, what does it mean? But what does it mean? What does it mean? Anyways, we're here for a um, an episode, a regular episode, and not a not a hundred. Yeah, not shots. a century, not an not interview, an just a regular old episode, which feels very weird, doesn't it? It does kind of feel weird, um, but also refreshing. Okay. <laughs> episode one hundred and one. Yeah, that is what this is. Anyways, uh, so it is the first episode. No, it's the last episode. It's the second it's the episode, episode of the month, but, but... It's, we're doing the music corner yes. because we had the the uh, century. Yeah, the century. Yeah. Okay. I was like, wait, no, it's not. So um, I'm going to talk about my five favorite albums that came out in the month of April, which feels weird to talk about right now, but whatever. We're going to do it anyways. So the first one came out on April 1st, actually. It's from a band that I'm a really big fan of. They're called Crows. Um, their album was called Beware Believers. So this is their second album. And I actually saw, I got to see Crows on tour for their first album in London in 2019. So that was really cool. So I've seen these guys live, actually. And this album was amazing. It literally, I think I listed like six songs as my favorite songs on the album because it's that good. I I really liked the singles that they had released, and then when the full album came out, I was just like, these songs that weren't even singles are just as good as I everything else I've heard. It's not like they just released like the hot songs, and then the rest of the album is fine. But like the entire thing goes hard from start to finish. Yeah, I enjoy this album a lot. I think so. Slowly separate was like our blend song for a long time. It was, yeah. Um, I love this album. It's it's really fun. It's it's unexpected, but, like, it's so good from start to finish because, like, the singles were so strong. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Like, it's it's exciting that it's so strong throughout. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of my favorite rock albums of the year. Like, I listen to it nice. so much. It's so good. Yeah. What'd you give it? I gave it a 10. 10 Stephanie's. 10 Stephanie's. A lot of Stephanie's. I know. Just one of me is hard enough. So, 10, of, 10 Stephanie's is a lot. Um, okay. So the next one came out on April 8th. It is the debut album from the female-fronted English rock band Wet Leg. It's called Wet Leg. I am absolutely obsessed with this band. I think that they sound so different. And it's almost, it, is, it has a very mainstream sound to it, which makes it super accessible to listen to. Yeah. For a lot of these, like, post-punk bands, but it's just, oh, it's so good. Yeah, I feel like, so your note here is this lived up to the hype, and I feel like that's just the epitome of, like, this album and this yeah. band to me, because, like, you know, the singles came out, like, Chase Lounge, Wet Dream, those all came out, and they were good, and I felt like they were getting, the band itself is getting so much hype, and they were getting so much hype before mm-hmm. even having an album out. Yeah. Like, I've missed two of their tours, in the yeah, US they they played the Chicago. Sell out like day up. Yeah, they um, literally played Chicago they, before their album came out, and like right, they they booked a world tour before yeah. the album came out. Yeah, they played in San Francisco. They have another show in San Francisco. Both or they had another. Mm-hmm. Um, both sold out like, immediately, uh, and like people just know this band, and we've joked that they are like an industry plant. Um, and this album just kind of proved that they're not because it's just, it's, it's so good. 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 The album's so good. I gave it a yeah. nine. I thought this album was fantastic. 
Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this album. Listening to it on vinyl. Oh, I, I listened to I it, I, like, once a week. <laughs> yeah. I think I was able to wait until the vinyl came out, because I think it came out, like, I got my vinyl, like, two or three days after the album came out. Um, it's it's fantastic. It's everything that they've been hyped as being. They live up to the hype that was set for them, and they've been doing a lot yeah. of late-night TV recently, and they've just been getting yeah. bigger and bigger. Yeah, and it's crazy. Like, they're opening for Florence and the Machine. Yeah. They're, like, opening for... I feel like they're opening for, like, Harry Styles. They might like, be. I don't store. know. Like, it's it's crazy. Yeah, they're definitely getting a lot of well-deserved recognition. Yeah. The next one I want to talk about also came out on April 8th. It is the second album from one of my absolute favorite musicians, Orville Peck. And this album is called Bronco. This album feels a little bit more produced and, like, on a much larger scale than Pony was, but he also moved from sub-pop to Atlantic during that time, and he, like, blew up and is a huge star now. And he worked with Shania Twain and has gotten a ton of recognition. And also, like, a Bronco is a bigger, bigger than a Pony. Correct. That is why the the name of the album is... No, I know. I'm just saying a Pony is small. Yeah. Bronco's a big boy. His voice is absolutely amazing on this album. Like it's so well made. His uh, he's he's amazing. I love him. He's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I enjoy this album a lot. Um, I also gave this a nine. Okay. Um, yeah, oh, it was so good. I'm so bummed. I'm gonna miss him when he comes through Chicago on his Bronco tour, but I will be overseas. So. <clears throat> Um, the next one came out on April 29th. It's the new album from the band Girl Pool, and it's called Forgiveness. So Girl Pool's had a really interesting evolution of their sound over the last several years. They started out on this very like soft, almost acoustic indie. <clears throat> and this album takes a lot of really cool um, electronic influence in it. So it still has their same vocal style. And some of their same instrumentation, but they just like slapped some electronics in there and it just sounds so good. This band is so much fun. Um, I gave this a 10. I absolutely loved it. I was completely blown away because I did not really know what to expect from it. And this is my absolute favorite work that they've ever done. Okay. I have not listened to this yet, but I did see your like review and I meant to and I forgot. Yeah, I actually saw them play Chicago in, like, 2017. At, I saw them at, like, Logan Auditorium, that really weird venue off the Logan Square Blue Line stop. I went with mm-hmm. former guest Joe. Like that's, okay. It was a really long time ago. And then their, their sound has just evolved so much since the time we had even seen them. So, oh, it's so good. And then the last one I'm going to mention um, also came out on April 29th. It is the new album from Toro Iwa, and it's called Mahal. So I just want to say something. Hmm. I really miss the days when we called them Toro Imoy. Like standard Americans? Yeah, before we realized it was moi, um, I miss when we called them Toro Imoy because that's how I read it. That's how, I that, that. <laughs> that's how I read it. Um, so this album's a little bit more of like a funk forward sound rather than like some of the, the R&B sound he had in his last album, Outer Peace. It's I, my just my my notes are just this was funky as hell and I absolutely loved it like I had so much fun listening to it from start to finish. It's it's such a good album. My physical copy just arrived the other day and I haven't had time to listen to it on vinyl yet, but I just think it's going to sound amazing. Yeah. He's playing Pitchfork yeah, like- as well, so I think this will be a very good festival album. Nice. Um, I feel like. April was very strong. Yeah, it really was. I feel like March was a little on the weaker side, so for April to come back and come this hard, yeah, it was a good time. Which is funny because we definitely talk about this. Like, like we talked about this, I think, two episodes ago, where like we were excited to talk about April because there were some like really mm-hmm. exciting albums. Um, which fun. Now that we're back here, the three albums that we were really excited for that came out on the same day, none of them made this list. Well, that's hard because April, I will say April was very good. Like honorable mention, I would say Skintifia, Fontaine's DC, Night Gnome, Psychedelic Porn Crumpets. 
and I forget what the last one we talked about was. Oh, King Gizzard. Uh, also, yeah, it those was good. Were the three that yeah. we were really excited about. Yeah. Which, it was funny because we, like, ended the episode, or we ended this, the March conversation and saying, like, I wonder if they'll make it. I think it's interesting. It's interesting that they Very did strong. not. Very strong. Yeah. Very strong month, I think. Yeah. For sure. So with that, uh, let's start chatting about the beer and get into the topic. Okay. Stephanie, what are you drinking? I am drinking, and I'm very excited. This is super fresh. Um, I am drinking the Crushinator Session IPA from Maplewood. This just released like a week ago. So uh, this is very fresh, and I'm very excited. Super fresh. I'm very excited that it's back, because this beer is so good, and I haven't had it in so long. So good. So this they, the thing there, I think I like this beer so much. They use a Vienna malt, so it has some of the same characters as like a Vienna lager, which is like one of my favorite beer styles. But it's still got like a strong hot flavor, and it's only it's a session IPA, so it's only four and a half percent. So you could drink these all day long and not feel nice. like the the fullness of like a even other session IPAs still feel like you're drinking an IPA. This is just so light. Oh, it's so good. Nice. Um, so I have a very rare, I'm excited about it, a very elusive beer. Um, it's called High Life by Miller. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do have a Miller High Life. I was going to say, you're also drinking a Miller High Life as you talk about what beer. <laughs> um, but no, I have a different beer. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I, have I have a second beer with me here, too. <laughs> It's like half. So gone. I'm cracking open the um, this the hazy IPA from Standard Deviant. Um, it's a I don't think we've done this on the podcast yet, but it's a beer I drink all the time. I love Standard Deviant. Um, I am a little disappointed though because it's six point eight percent ABV and, and not six point nine. I always get there should be no beers that are six point eight percent. I agree. Like, there should never be a 6.8% beer or a 7% beer. Should always you should just never be have 6. those. 9. It should always be 6.9 at that point. Um, but, yeah, it's a good beer. <laughs> <laughs> I drank a, a decent bit of this yesterday at the tap room. Very nice. That is a fun tap room. I, I love Standard Deviant. Yeah. Okay, so three words for the Crushinator. I'm going to go hoppy, light, and citrusy. Three words for standard deviance, um, hazy IPA, like sweet citrusy, like almost like a tangerine or like Ooh, a cutie. Nice. Like we've talked about this, like clementine. Crushable. Delicious. Um, cool. So let's get into the episode. Yeah. So today we're doing another film anniversary, um, but this one's a very fun one. Near and dear to our hearts. Yes. Um, we're going to talk about the 20th anniversary of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. So, uh, the film was released in May, on May 3rd of 2002. So, timestamp for you. Uh-huh. Oh, I love this movie so much. We just rewatched all three of these when we were together last, didn't we? We did. It was like... We like laid on my couch for like nine hours and just watched all these movies. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we was like, it was post my birthday party. Yeah, I think it was the day after, yeah. Yeah, and we were all just like kind of laying on the couch, like me, you, Matt, and Steve, all just laying on the couch, like drinking a beer. (laughs) And watching these movies. We watched the first one, and they were like, are we going to keep going? Are we just going to do all of them? Uh, And we did. Well, Steve and I had also just seen uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. No, we did too. We both saw Spider-Man oh, we saw Home the same day. On the same day within yeah. like 30 minutes of each other. But so we had decided to go and like rewatch these because we were like, oh, we want to rewatch these movies. Let's start. Yeah. And then I rewatched Daredevil obsessively after that. Yes. Um, anyways, back to Spider-Man. So this movie was directed by Sam Raimi, also known for the Evil Dead franchise, The Quick and the Dead, Drag Me to Hell, and most recently... Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I love that they brought him on to do like a new Marvel. I agree. Specifically I within that. the MCU. I think it's a great yeah. call. Um, the screenplay was by David Cope, who did Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, Mission Impossible, 
So other, you know, big, big, big movies. blockbusters. Yeah, yeah. The movie stars Tobey Maguire, Kristen Dunst, uh, Willem Dafoe, and James Franco. Honestly, kind of like a star, like a, a studded cast. Yeah, and even at the time, oh, I was reading something that James Franco was filming Pineapple Express during the Spider-Man trilogy. So, like, that the same time no. he was blowing up. I think it was one of the later ones, but at the same time, like, during this time frame, he was also working with Seth Rogen okay, in I Pineapple Express. I don't know why, but Pineapple Express feels like... Not that old. It's a different era. Nope, same time. But yeah, it feels like it came out way after Spider-Man. I mean, during the trilogy, it's later in the trilogy. But... No, I, I I get it, but it feels like it came out in, like, 2013. I think it came out when I was Which in high school. obviously it did. Yeah. No, I know. I think I was in high school as well, but it just feels like it came out much later than it did. So, uh... Also, like, I love, like... I've been very into Kristen Dunst late, lately. I feel like she's a she's a really good actress. She really and, is. Um, underrated. I don't know if she's still underrated, but at this time frame, she was. That's a good way to put it. Um, so before we get into just like shoot the shit about what we love about the Spider-Man franchise, um, I just wanted to talk about a couple of interesting background things that kind of led to the show being the way that it is. So... There were talks of a Spider-Man film back even as far back into the 80s, but do I just read some of your notes. <laughs> um, Go ahead. Okay. I'll tell you when you get to oh, it. Oh, okay. So um, I'm going to start that over. No, no. Keep oh, going. Oh, you want me to keep going? <laughs> so just due to continuous licensing and financial issues, the film... It took 25 years almost for the film to actually be made from the time that they started doing conceptual work for it. I was reading that there were some crazy concepts that some of these original directors and screenplay writers that were tied to the show were coming up with. And for some reason, somebody, like, they didn't know the background of Spider-Man at all. And they thought he was, like, a werewolf and turned into a tarantula. And they literally pitched... This is where I left. That's what I read when I left. They literally, like, pitched a story as though he just turns into a giant tarantula. Yeah, that's even what though I he's read. clearly a superhero character, like they just had no idea no, I mean, who he was. He's a tarantula. It's that's weird. what I read when I started laughing because I was. It's weird, that. right? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Um, also, I think that that's like a better concept, though. Like, Ant Man should absolutely turn into an ant. Spider Man should turn into a spider. Did you see Doctor Strange yet? There's, I mean, it's not like, Did it's you? A, yeah, we just saw it. Um, there not, it's not a spoiler, but there's like a, a couple, there's a scene a universe. There's a, it's not a universe. There's a scene oh. where they're like talking about Spider-Man and then they have a whole discussion about whether or not he shoots webs out of his butt. <laughs> That's not actually a spoiler to anything that happens, but I thought you would find it funny. Butt webs. <laughs> and then, uh, Dr. Strange is like, oh, it's- I hope not. That's very reminiscent of the scene in No Way Home when, like, Tobey Maguire, like, like has webs in his body. And they're like, it's in your body? And they're just, like, trying to, like, do the math of yeah. how it gets there. <laughs> Where else it can come out of. Um, actually, really quick, I was going to talk about this later, but... The reason that it comes out of his body and not out of, like, a web shooter, because in the comics, it's from, like, an actual web shooter. Sam Raimi yeah, it's said like it's completely... Uh, he, like, runs out. Yeah, but it's... Um, Sam Raimi said that it's completely not believable that a high schooler could come up with that kind of device. So it had to come out of his body instead. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do, like... I I think that... It coming out of his body makes more sense to me than it like him like having been able to come up with it like Tom Holland's character like creating this web same with Andrew Garfield doesn't make sense yeah. to me same with Andrew Garfield yeah like it makes more sense to me that it comes out of his body yeah because a high schooler can't high school. do that I don't care how smart you are a high schooler cannot yeah. access the technology to do that right well yeah I mean I have criticisms about No Way Home in that way where like they were in the like the high school oh yeah like lab and created like all of these things to fix people suspension of disbelief i guess i guess um 
So I was reading that there actually wasn't a ton of interest in Marvel as a comic book like, film franchise at the time. And I think we've talked about this in the podcast in the past, but um, DC literally like was running the universe of, you know, films with the Batman franchise. And because mm-hmm. um, Batman and Robin was so disastrously bad, they they were like, we "How can- dare you!" Okay, that movie's not good. You don't like you don't like nipple George Clooney. No, not really. Nipple Clooney. Not really. No. Um, but Blade came out in 1998, and then they were also starting to work on the X Men franchise at that time. And then that kind of renewed interest in bringing up Spider Man as a potential you know film option. Um, the ori- there was an uh, there was an early adaptation of the script that was actually written by James Cameron. And the script that ended up being, you know, the final version for this film was an adaptation of the James Cameron script. So they basically, like, took this original storyline from James Cameron, changed it, and, like, updated it and made it a full script. And then that's what became Spider-Man. There were multiple directors that were, you know, approached for this project. I saw Tim Burton, M. Night Shyamalan, Michael Bay, obviously James Cameron. Those are all disastrous people yeah i know like, this movie would have been disastrous if I and then no um, that, but. they eventually came to sam raimi and uh, the year 2000 sam's agent told <clears throat> him that he wasn't sony's original choice and so he basically just like went and showed them his entire comic book collection and then they were like oh no you're serious about this i guess we have to give this to you i was reading something yeah, crazy that at the time his comic book collection was like worth thirty five thousand dollars well, I think it's interesting because, like, this would be this would have been a huge deal for Sam Raimi mm-hmm. to be doing because this is like a giant blockbuster, big budget. I think this movie. was his first, like, I mean, The Quick and the Dead is pretty big budget, but this was his first like film to this scale, like big yeah. production, yeah, um, yeah. So the film was going to originally have a November two thousand and one release. But they had to delay it to May of 2002 due to a bunch of things having to be updated in post-production. And one of those was completely digitally editing the Twin Towers out of all of the shots. Because That makes sense. Because obviously... That was a big, like, staple yeah. of New York at the time. Right. And in, like, every single photo and, like, large, like, landscape view, they had to completely edit out the Twin Towers. Yeah. And obviously that took a lot of effort, so they had to delay the original uh, release. Um, John Dijkstra was the producer for the visual effects. He worked on um, the first Star Wars. He worked on Battlestar Galactica. He did Batman. He actually had to like sit Sam Raimi down and convince him that these things that they wanted to do would be physically impossible to do as a practical effect. Because Sam Raimi is known for only he doing practical, practical effects. So yeah. they, he had to like sit him down and be like, "We can't do this. We have to do this digitally. Like, you will not yeah. be able to make this movie." There were so many like things that had to be done at the time to make this work the way they wanted it to. So if you see any shot that's like a digital effect with Green Goblin or Spider Man, and if if they're in the same scene, they were shot separately and superimposed on each other because oh, they they couldn't because they had two different rigs. They couldn't physically, like, edit them properly on the same panel at that point in time. So uh, Spider-Man is in front of a green screen. Green Goblin is in front of a blue screen. And then they just, like, lined up the clips. Oh, that makes sense because Green Goblin is green. Green. Couldn't be in front of a green screen. That's interesting. I was wondering if it was because, like, they're on two separate rigs because, like, Green Goblin's obviously, like, on a flow. I mean, that I think that's part of it as skateboard. well. But, I mean, um, when they physically had to edit it. That's the way they had to do it. No, I mean, it makes sense that they would put the Green Goblin in front of a blue screen and, like, Spider-Man can't go in front of a blue screen. Right. Because he's partially blue and then, like, Green Goblin can't go in front of a green screen. Yeah. They could have just done, like, a yellow... I don't know. I don't think I don't the technology works, worked that well at that time. I, mean, I also don't know how it works. I say that like I know, but I I know. mean, I think we've come a lot further today yeah. where we don't have to do that anymore, but it's just really interesting to think <clears> about the kind of work that was done. Yeah. To put these effects it's very, together like, at the time. It's problem solving. It's very interesting how like you have to problem solve in this way. And then the last note I had was at the time of the release, this was the first ever film to reach $100 million at the box office opening weekend. The first mm-hmm. ever film to do that. 
Um, yeah, that makes sense though. It was. I feel like that was a widely, like a highly anticipated film. Like mm-hmm. I remember seeing previews for it and like trailers everywhere I went. Do you and like the marketing budget was giant? I don't remember. I don't either. I would have been. I was like ten. Nine. I, I was in a theater. I, I don't, really I don't even know if I saw this in theaters. To be completely honest with you, because I didn't go see a ton of movies as like a young kid. So I we probably rented the DVD or whatever. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw it in theater because like in general, like in May, around that time is when school gets out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably would have like it would have been like a a thing that we did during the summer. Like our cousins all like we all went to go do this and our moms were like just go get out of the house yeah please leave get away from us we don't want our children at home all day i'm at home all day don't want you home all day too kind of thing so i I don't really remember i don't think i know for a fact spider-man 3 i think i saw like I think I saw two. I don't think I saw two and three in the theater. I think I saw them on like TBS when like on the weekends they would show because they definitely played the like Spider Man movies a lot on cable all the time. So I'm pretty sure I saw two and three on cable, but I think I saw one in the theater. I definitely saw three in theaters. I don't know about the other ones though. Okay. I specifically remember seeing three three in theaters because I was so confused. By that movie. Fair. Just in general. Fair. I was very confused by that movie. <clears throat> I do want to get, like, you have a, a, a thing here about the soundtracks, and I kind of want to talk about oh, that. Oh, hell yeah. Let's fun. do it. Um, before we start this, I do want to, I want a note that um, during our watch spree in January of this year, we spent a lot of time, <laughs> like, a, a lot of time. <laughs> Trying to find the official video for um, Dashboard Conf- like Vindicated by Dashboard yeah. Confessional. And we, we like, all had different memories of what that video <laughs> was. And none of them were right. Well, it turned out that we, we did find the original one. Uh, right. Also, before... like, But we, we all were... definitely thought it was a different video. Oh, like, yeah. We were like, I'm pretty sure this happened and it was not no. correct. Um. This time is just so funny with these music videos that incorporate scenes from the film. And I think it's... Like, oh, I know. That was like... And like, if they incorporate them in a weird way where it's like some... It would make sense if it's just like cutting to yeah. clips from the film. But this at this time frame, like early 2000s, the way they did it was like on a TV in the background yes. is playing. And then they zoomed into the TV and then they showed you the scene. Or... <laughs> it's just always so... Like, over-the-top ways of, like, bringing the scene in. I mean, they were even doing this in the late 90s, and I specifically can think of the Kiss from a Rose music video for Batman. <laughs> That's all I think the of. The Sixpence None the Richer Kiss Me video is, like, them, and then the background, they're watching a movie. <laughs> the movie they're watching is driving me crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Wait, no. She's all that. Um... Oh, speaking of, we should do, like, uh, an episode at some point on, like, 90s teen young adult movies like that. I have seen a lot of these. Um, I also just want to add that under soundtracks, I wrote, somehow I went down a rabbit hole looking into this, and the Ben Affleck Daredevil soundtrack is wild. (laughs) And then the Fantastic Four album I was very confused about how that came about um if you go to the wikipedia page for this soundtrack you can go and look at all of the marvel film soundtracks in order and that's how i ended up looking at ben affleck's daredevil so spider-man 3 has like two degrees of nick cage um i'm looking at the track listing and coconut records is on this album and we it all know so... Coconut Records is Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> Coconut Records is Jason Schwartzman. Or as Lindsay likes to Cage. call him, the guy with the eyebrows. Okay, I mean, look at him. I it's know what eyebrows. he looks like. I guess he does have a mole that is also very defining, but eyebrows. So, 
I remember also around the time that we did our watch through of this, there was like a filter on TikTok going around where it's like you're holding Spider-Man and he's swinging and some guy was singing the hero song. (laughs) I thought it was so funny. It's the hero by Chad Kroger and uh, Josie Scott from Theory of a Dead Man. I'm pretty sure we also like watched that. Oh, we did. That video is weird too. Yeah. Because they're, like, on um, the rooftop. So I think, in my opinion, Spider-Man 3 has the best soundtrack oh, of all of these. Because um, it's got Snow Patrol, The Killers, The Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, Wolf Mother, The Flaming, Flaming Lips. Lips, Coconut Records, Jet. Like, it's just, a, it's a good. I also read um, that... They they approached Dashboard Confessional for Spider-Man 2 to do the song, and um, Chris Caraba was like, only if I can watch the film, I will write the song. And then he wrote Vindicated in 10 minutes after he finished watching the film. I mean, that song is rough. That song goes hard. I know. It makes me cry. <laughs> that song still makes me cry. So, And also, this movie is a rough movie. Like, it's 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 a whole thing. Yeah. Spider-Man 2 is... is, t- is isn't that the one where he like dies? Like he fall like in the water, and the people pull him up, and then like they're passing him along yes. the train. Yes, yeah. The train, yeah. the train. That scene one's is like the hard. Yeah, that one's the hardest one. It's I thought sad. you were talking when you started describing someone dying in the second one. I was like, I think you're just describing Daredevil season two at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also thinking no, no. Of, uh, he doesn't actually die, but like they, he looks, dead yeah, and like he's just a boy. Yeah, that part. Yeah, um, yeah, that part's that part is emotionally. That train scene is so cool, though. Like the entire fight sequence. Yeah, but it is sad. Um, one of the other things I think that's interesting with the soundtrack specifically. So for Spider-Man Three, they wanted every single song to be written explicitly for the film so these bands none of these songs exist outside of the spider-man 3 soundtrack except for the flaming lips song that's the only one that was already written everything else is completely new and specifically for this film yeah i'm reading it now it says that the um the flaming lips song is recorded specifically for this though it wasn't specifically written for this movie but it was recorded specifically for this yes. movie yeah um which is interesting and that's not a thing with the other two no but they had the money so yeah at that point they already had the money um yeah i, I completely agree with you you're saying though the uh the third one i think is the best soundtrack yeah i agree I like that there's also a note here on this Wikipedia page that says the album does not include the song, uh, the James Brown song, People Get Up and Drive Your Funky Soul, which that's the song that Peter Parker dances to down the street. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He was the first Um, to do the finger guns, just walking around. (laughs) I think that means that he's bisexual. I was going to say, is he? That confirms that Peter Parker is bisexual because finger guns is a bisexual thing. According to Target's 2022 Pride merchandise, it is. Yes. Um, Okay, so you have something about the sequels. I just want to say I've been watching a lot of movies with Willem Dafoe, and... He's actually a really good actor. I also am, like, weirdly attracted to Willem Dafoe. He puts his whole defussy into things. (laughs) You just wanted to say defussy. I mean, I really did just want to say the pussy. I'm surprised also, you didn't call the part where we were talking about it coming, the web coming out of Tobey Maguire's body. The I forget what they called it on TikTok. I can't even say it. I don't know. Um, no, I mean, I do love Willem Dafoe. He's a great actor. Um, I We just watched... Um, He was, like, shortly in uh, Nymphomaniac, but I feel like I've been, he's been in, like, a lot of things I've been watching recently, like, randomly in them. Um, I mean, him and Christopher Walken are, like, randomly in things. 
Uh, but I, I've been enjoying Willem Dafoe lately. So I remember around the time No Way Home came out, um, <clears throat> there was a lot of jokes around, like, oh, Willem Dafoe just happened to be on set, so they decided to put him in the movie. Um, that started because when they were filmed, he was not supposed to be in Spider-Man 2. He was just like, but then yeah. they gave him a cameo in it later. And like they gave him a small scene because he just like happened to be in New York and saw the crew filming and went over and said hi. I love that. And that's why they put him Got in. Got a job just because he went to go say hi. Well, he was in the first one, but when they were filming the well, second know, one, they probably, gave him. It was probably just like a, you want to get... You want to get in this real quick? Yeah, that's pretty much how it went. So that's why yeah. it's like a running joke that he just happened to be on set and they put him in other movies. Yeah. Um, so your last note, is that specifically about? This is specifically about Spider-Man 3. Um, I didn't okay. have a ton of stuff about the sequels. I just mostly want to talk about the memes from the sequels. But um, apparently with Spider-Man 3, Sam Raimi was not really happy with the final result. Um, and he had come up with ideas for a fourth, fifth, and sixth installment um, to kind of make up for what, the, you know, the, his, his not liking episode three. Yeah, this kind of goes into, like, the way that Sony does Spider-Man movies. Um, I've read a lot about it, and it's like, Sony often shoots themselves in the foot with their Spider-Man movies because the first one's always very successful. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of like see the dollar signs of the franchise and they think, let's use the next one or the, like, let's use these to start introducing the franchise, like start introducing like spinoff movies. Mm-hmm. And they very much obviously did that with Spider-Man three. And they do that with the amazing Spider-Man two. Um, Obviously, they can't really do it with the Spider-Man movies and the MCU because the MCU is, like, dictating those. But that's that's kind of what they've done in the past, and it's actually led to poorer, like, ratings because it just gets too confusing. And, like, I've seen people say it's basically too confusing with the amount of characters that they're introducing um, for these spinoffs. Yeah, like, they do a lot of... Um... Like, there's a really small character in the film that actually, in the comics, is a very major character. So it's like an Easter egg building up for something else. Like how Dr. Connors is um, Peter Parker's teacher in college, but Dr. Connors is the the lizard man guy whose name I forget, but... Right. And that's, like, what they... That's the way they do it in the MCU, but in, like, in these Spider-Man movies, they, they very much try to, like, create an opening... Right, so that's why, like that. yeah, and then they are right. They did that with the Amazing Spider-Man, the girl that's Black Cat, the Black is, Cat, yeah. yeah. So like they tried to like create an opening for a spinoff for her, but like it was so poorly received because they, like in, in the Amazing Spider-Man two, they had introduced so many characters and so many villains that it was just like yeah, hard to there track. was like too much, uh, and it was one of the reasons that it like failed. I mean, other reasons obviously too, but one of the reasons it failed. So like that's I think. I'm not surprised that Sam Raimi was unhappy with the cut of the third movie because it often happens that they, like, pressure the directors to start introducing more characters for Mm. spinoffs. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk really quickly about Spider-Man 3 and that, uh, like, this is just, like, a a fun fact about me, but it's something that I never thought would happen until this movie came out. Um... I think Topher Grace and Tobey Maguire look really similar, and I don't know why, but pretty much <laughs> my entire life, I've always gotten them confused with each other, and then Spider-Man 3 came out, and I was like, I don't know who is who, and which character is which character right now, because it's very confusing, and I think that they're the same person. <clears throat> Specifically those two, though. Like, I, I have to think about which one is Topher Grace. Like, when you say Topher Grace, I have to think about, like... Is it Tobey Maguire? Is, is it, it actually Tobey Maguire? <laughs> right. Which one is my brain thinking of? And so uh, Spider-Man 3 was very confusing to me because... They're both. I did it. not think that they would ever do a movie together, but then they did. Then they did. And it was extremely confusing. And they also basically played the same character. <laughs> I mean, technically, yeah. It was a very confusing movie to me for that reason, and that reason only. 
All right, let's go into the memes. I was going to say, so most of these links that are here are just memes. So sure. just be just be warned what you're opening. Um, one interesting thing getting that I also have linked here. So um, obviously Sam Raimi just, you know, they just released Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and Sam Raimi was the director of that. They He was asked in an interview um, if he would, you know, be interested in directing a uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man, and his exact words were, Tobey Maguire would break my neck. I love that. I love that for him. I do love that for him. Also thinking of uh, just Sam Raimi, Multiverse of Madness. Um, I saw a TikTok today, and I think I sent it to you. It was this guy talking about how he loves when directors get to always use like their stick when they're no matter what movie it is and this guy said that sam raimi's running gag is just uh abusing the shit out of bruce campbell <laughs> that does happen in pretty much every movie in every movie <laughs> um i also saw a thing on tumblr hold on if i can find it i laughed so hard um where'd it go hold on now i'm just looking at where all my fan fiction is i'm trying to find the sam raimi thing basically what it said is um anytime sam raimi gets a job the first person he calls is bruce campbell and his exact words were hey honey i've got a job for you and bruce campbell's just like god damn it why are we doing this i love that though i love the idea that like bruce campbell doesn't actually want to do it and they like just does it and then like sam raimi's like this is the joke of taking too far yeah pretty much that's the state we've gotten ourselves into as someone that also takes jokes too far, I love that. Well, this, these, these jokes have been taken too far since 1980. So I love that. Though. This is the I longest, love a long running joke. This is a I 40 love a long year, joke like 40 plus year running joke. Yeah. Okay. So if you didn't know, there is an entire subreddit um, called Raimi Memes. And it's memes about Sam Raimi movies. So that was that. fun. That is one that I I joined that sub today, if you're wondering. Um, specifically, it's called, it's our uh, Raimi memes, the home of pizza time. <laughs> oh my God. There's a great, <laughs> there's a great meme here where it says, Eating a hot dog could take 30 minutes off your life, study says. And then just, like, in front of it, it's, like, it's that study or that headline. And in front of it is Peter Parker, like, walking, and he looks at it and then takes a bite of the hot dog. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> There's, um, the, the one link I sent has, like, the best form of the Raimi memes or the best Spider-Man memes. And it's the cas- the very casual hot dog is one of them. <laughs> like the moments that were used in memes Mm -hmm. from the spider-man movies um the casual hot dog the one where he's like stretching out on the train where he's like trying to hold it together (laughs) these are so stupid um i'm something of a scientist myself i say that one a lot i tried to drop that into as many references as i can um pizza time i i think i say all the time too yeah um the but then of course i'm just looking at bully mcguire memes I, we do reference bully mcguire a lot we do it's it's too much it's so funny um i remember and i think we watched it when we did the century um uh, we watched the thing of like bully mcguire on family feud where, like, mm-hmm. somebody superimposed that together. And I don't think I've ever cried laughing so hard, ever, as I did watching that. Somebody on this Reddit thread says, Whenever my employees ask for a raise, I instead offer them a box of Christmas meat. I've had one person get it, and they got a raise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's the way to do it. Um, somebody posed a question on the uh, Spider-Man subreddit about a year ago. Oh, I think you said, you. this is the one you were talking about. Um, they were like, why is 
the Sam Raimi trilogy so memeable? And one of the answers, which I actually thought was really interesting, is that Sam Raimi took this directly as, like, putting a comic book onto the big screen and not making it, like, a believable thing. Like, he didn't need it to be believable. It's a comic book. And that's why so many of these characters are just so ridiculous and say so many ridiculous things. Well, it's funny because that's like it is exactly what they would do in a comic book. Like the cheesy lions are straight out of comic books, mm-hmm. and I, I I think that's I think that's the reason I love it so much. Like I don't know if you have this on here, but I think we can say like both of our favorite trilogies are the same range. Oh, absolutely. For Spider or the I guess not trilogies because I mean Spider Man they get three, but. I mean, of the Spider-Man series, yes. The Sam Raimi movies are my favorite. I do think that they've they've held up fairly well, and I think it's because it's just a comic book movie. There's very few references to the time frame. Right. That, like, tie it to an era. Right. Um, Like, other than, like, the clothes. But, like, the, the movie itself, like, kind of withstands time because there's very little that, like, ties it to when it came out. Yeah. The jokes are very, like, classic jokes, like, very, like, quippy, very much like, like, as you mentioned, like, a comic book. It's yeah. going to be, it's going to be ridiculous. It's not going to be, like, part of something like how No Way Home or, like, the Tom Holland Spider-Man series is part of something. And then, you know, the Forgotten Amazing Spider-Man is very, I think the Forgotten Amazing Spider- Spider-Man is very much, like, tied to the era that it came out in. Oh, I agree. And the Sam Raimi's is just kind of like it's floating in it. It's it's it is out, it's outside of society, and that's why it's still yeah. so funny and like so entertaining to go back and rewatch those movies. I mean, yeah. mostly because of the memes, but <laughs> right. But like you can think about it. Like there are, if you were to take screenshots of certain like of of the movie. Those could easily be, like, a comic book panel. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of them, of the same Raimi trilogies, could be, like, a comic book panel that you have either seen on the internet or, like, like could see. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up, just in general, who is your favorite Spider-Man? Yeah, we've talked about this a lot. Um, <clears throat> I feel like, overall... Like, it's always going to be Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, like, like Tom Holland is a good mix of being attractive and also being, like, a nerd. Not that I think he's attractive. I think he looks like a child. I think he but, looks like, like a child. He's got, but he's got that, like, mix of, like, he, he's kind of a believable Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Andrew Garfield is, like, too attractive to be a nerd. And Peter Parker is, like, or, sorry, uh, Tobey Maguire is, like, Super nerdy, but he doesn't have a, like, superhero factor to it. Yeah. So Tom Holland's, like, a good mix of them. Uh, And we've talked about it as, like, I guess, Tobey Maguire is my favorite Peter Parker. Andrew Garfield's my favorite Spider-Man. And then Tom Holland's a good mix of them. But if I had to pick, it's always going to be Tobey Maguire. I know. I think it's because we, like, this is the one we grew up with. Yeah. So for us, it's always going to be the Sam Raimi franchise and it's always going to be Tobey Maguire as our Spider-Man. Yeah, I I think it's probably it. Like I know people love the Tom Holland series. It's fine. It's fine. I think because I just, the MCU thing it exists just, it takes itself lo- too seriously and I think that's the problem I have with it. Like I think the reason I love the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies so much is cuz it doesn't take itself too seriously and sometimes Marvel feels like it takes like the MCU takes itself so, so seriously. seriously that like the the movies I really enjoy out of the MCU are the ones that like Taika they're the goofy like, as hell like, ones like, the you get James ones, yeah. Gunn you get Taika Waititi doing these weird one-off storylines exactly and they're fun because it's like lighthearted. they are memeable they're just kind of ridiculous and it's out there and it's 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 fun and I enjoy those the most and I think that's why I like the Sam Raimi trilogy the most because it's just like a fun adaptation that doesn't like try to be more than it is yeah i would agree with that so as we wrap here i there is one thing i want to say um about the new doctor strange movie so i had read reviews beforehand like the non-spoiler spoiler reviews 
Um, and I would completely agree with the one I read. And it said, if you're a fan of Sam Raimi, you're going to love this movie. Yeah, I have seen reviews of the new Doctor Strange where they talk about how it's very reminiscent of like the Spider-Man yeah. trilogy, like his Spider-Man trilogy. And it's got like the, it's got that like goofy effect. Yeah. It, it, without in some being ways. like overly goofy too. Like there's, he like, uh, I, I think I, I think it was, what's her name? Jay Stubes on Oh, on TikTok. TikTok yeah. Yeah. It talks about how like, it's got jokes. It's got seriousness. It's really got everything. And it's like one of her favorite movies yeah. that like marvel is done and i'm really excited to see it yeah you definitely yet, need really to try to find some time to see it it was it was so yeah. good i'm so glad we saw it in theaters okay i'm sorry i was just like looking oh i was like things. oh are you good you had a very like confused look on your face i'm trying to figure out what was going on in that meme um yeah, so I don't have anything else. No, I think that uh, this about... was a fun one, though. Yeah, this was a really fun one. I'm glad we got to do this as an episode because um, I love these movies. I do too. We didn't even talk about the upside down kiss. No, but but I, but, but I did. Now. But I did hear that that scene was awful to film because Tobey Maguire was upside down and the the water. He kept getting water up his nose. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That would be not fun. No, he said it was miserable doing that scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, I don't have anything else. No, I think that about wraps it for this. So with that, <clears throat> sorry, this beer's made me flummy. Um, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Please go on your favorite podcast streaming service and give us a five star rating. And if you're feeling saucy, you can leave us a written review. Uh, if you're not feeling that saucy, you can uh, DM us. Talk to us on social media. Listen through the song and you will hear all of our social media plugs and uh, interact with us. We're fun sometimes. You can watch me and Lindsay argue with each other through the comments on our posts. That's always the fun one. Where we just talk back and forth? Yeah. Yes. Because no one else talks to us. Except for Julie. Except for Shout Jules. out to our friend Julie. Shout out to Julie. All right. Listen through the song. Hear the social media plugs. And we will see you next time. Bye, guys. All right. That was the episode. So we love hearing from you. Um, and if you want to contact us, you can do so through our email address. It is drunkanduncultured at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at Drunk and Uncultured Podcast. Our Instagram is Drunk and Uncultured. And our Twitter is Drunk Uncultured. No ant. And as always, I'm Lindsay, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Lindsay Sold Out. And I'm Stephanie, and you can find me on Untapped, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr as underscore Stephen Color. And you can also follow my concert Instagram at Shitty Concert Blog. Stay drunk, guys. See you next time.